Hello and welcome to the Sobre Mesa podcast. I'm your host, Alan McGuire, and with me today I have Carlos Del Clos, who is a professor of sociology at the Autonomous University of Barcelona. Welcome back to Sobre Mesa, Carlos. Oh, thanks for having me, Alan. Sobre Mesa has got nearly over 80 episodes now uh, in its back catalogue. Wow. Yeah. And recently we did uh, an episode on kind of the changing landscape of Lisbon, and, and I think it's very interesting, but you can't really talk about gentrification on the Iberian Peninsula without talking about Barcelona. I don't know about you, Carlos, but the first time I think I ever heard the word gentrification was in the same sentence as the word Barcelona. And for some reason as well, I think it's really sad that uh, the word gentrification is used as like catch-all phrase these days. A bit like, you know, the word neoliberalism. And I think it's kind of actually lost its meaning a bit. Um, everything new is gentrification. And, you know, I've I started hearing the word regeneration, which I'm not sure if it's kind of people trying to sugarcoat gentrification or what. But, um, but I mean, that's what we're going to talk about today is gentrification in Barcelona. So uh, my first question to you, Carlos, is, you know, what do we mean when we say gentrification? And what does it really mean in kind of, you know, concrete terms when we talk about Barcelona, how has it changed the city? Sure. So, so gentrification is a term, you know, it was coined by Ruth Glass in the 1960s. Um, it's a term that I, I mean, I've known for some time, uh, just because in sociology, it's especially in urban sociology, which is sort of my area. Um, it's, it's something you're going to talk about quite a bit. (laughs) Um, and so the idea behind the original idea behind gentrification uh, was basically in reference to a process of sort of higher wealth or higher earning residencies, aka the gentry, moving into working class or poorer neighborhoods and replacing their residents, right? Mm. Um, and it's a very straightforward idea, um, you know, of of substitution of uh, you know a less affluent population by a more affluent one. This was the initial idea uh, of Ruth Glass, but then, of course, over time, you know, these concepts can become more sophisticated on one hand, uh, but then they also become operationalized in different ways by different, you know, scholars, politicians, social movements, and so on, and and it can take on different meanings. And I actually attribute, you know, the the rise of the term gentrification in recent parlance. Uh, really to kind of like a trend I started to notice in 2010s internet culture and just kind of clickbait and the articles we were all sharing on these old platforms that I I think it used to be called like Facebook or something like that. (laughs) Um, And, and basically it was like a lot of like think pieces targeting millennials and so on uh, um, that would talk about how the city was changing in interesting ways and how the sort of commercial and residential landscape was changing and basically drawing interesting parallels between like the proliferation of like cupcake shops yeah yeah specialty coffee cereal shops cereal shops cereal Cereal. shops big one yeah yeah cereal shops and like relating that to like rising rents in um cities like london the bay area of san francisco and so on um and so those of us who've kind of you know studied gentrification for many years or at least urban change let's say um you know, we, we found these articles like kind of entertaining, even though, you know, kind of they weren't particularly robust in the, in the sort of sociological terminology that they were using or the, mm. or the urban development, uh, or geographical, uh, 
terminology they were using. Uh, but they were interesting and it's like, you know, yeah, there, there probably is a correlation between this sort of change in like the commercial landscape and so on and, and rents, but that's not really the issue, right? Um, so if we think about what gentrification, you know, what does it actually mean? I mean, it's like a, we can think of it as part of, you know, cycles of, uh, of different neighborhoods, right? Um, and so that usually involve a lot of, you know, a set of common factors, which can be systemic, systematic and racialized disinvestment, right? So, just, mm -hmm. you know, they just stop in investing in specific neighborhoods. Um, we can think about it about through narratives about neighborhood decay. So people will start complaining that the neighborhood isn't what it used to be. Yeah. Um, and uh, somehow it's, you know, degrading in some way and just needs to be revitalized in some way, right? Um, and then after this sort of narrative, you see reinvestment through property speculation uh, and displacement of the sort of, let's say, cultural, human, and physical heritage of a place, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so these are some of the factors that you'll see generally associated with, um, with gentrification. And a lot of the controversy around the term um, in sort of scholarly spheres uh, revolves around, a, you know, one of the basic questions that different types of sociologists and geographers and uh, other types of scholars will often disagree over, which is, okay, these are these are interesting concepts, and certainly they're they're trends to to kind of monitor and uh, on some level combat. But how do you measure this, right? Mm, mm. Uh, how would you measure this? What would it mean? Um, so the main ways that we think about it is like, you know, particularly from my own perspective, which leans quantitative in many cases, uh, especially for trends like these. And we look at things like changing demographics, mm -hmm. uh, what's happening to income levels in the neighborhood, what's happening to educational attainment, um, what's happening to you know, tenant conditions, rent overburden, uh, housing overburden, housing costs. And then of course the big one, uh, speculative property purchasing, right? Yeah. Um, what's happening in the, in the real estate field, what's happening in terms of, of real estate speculation. Mm. So that's what, that's what gentrification is. And, and, and I think that's what all of us can kind of agree that it, um, that it is, um, in this sort of more recent, literature, one of the big, I'd say the the two most, perhaps the most influential, you know, scholars talking about this were geographers, uh, specifically uh, David Harvey and Neil Smith, mm -hmm. uh, who've written a lot about this process and, and, and think about, you know, gentrification as the sort of the front lines of, uh, of, of global capitalism, neoliberalism, and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's just kind of an idea, I think, an overview of what this concept stands for. Yeah. When we talk about Barcelona, where would you place the origins of, of gentrification? And I, because I, one of the big things I think is interesting is some people talk about gentrification as if it's an inevitable, like as if it's a given thing. You know what I mean? And so, you know, what could have been done differently, I suppose, you know? Well, I mean, you know, you could place this. That's why it's such a slippery term, right? So if we're thinking about yeah. <laughs> the term that emerges in the sixties, like where where could we where could we apply it? I mean, you know, on some level you could I'm I'd I'd say most contemporary accounts like to talk about what's 
happened in Barcelona in its sort of recent history. Uh, an interesting starting point is the Olympics. Yeah. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. The the 1992 Olympics uh, are were obviously a, a moment of major uh, urban renewal, a uh, mm-hmm. term that you hinted at earlier, uh, that involves sort of targeted mass investment in uh, really transforming the you know the the entire urban environment of Barcelona, mm-hmm. right? Um, and redirecting different types of use, land use. Um, uh, yeah, just I think that's that's most people would agree that that had a major impact. And I think even though there are a lot of scholars uh, with whom I agree, uh, who kind of point at the Olympics as a moment where Barcelona kind of lost something of its, oh, right. okay, you know, its essence um, as like kind of a, a messy place, uh, uh, an un more than a messy, let's say unruly. Right, uh, mm-hmm. an unruly place, uh, but but I think most folks would also remember Barcelona as a very dirty city, kind of insecure, mm-hmm. and this kind of things. And and you know, there's a tension between those two discourses because obviously the latter has an element of social hygienism that 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 is quite regressive, right? Mm. Um, but uh, and the other kind of can be a bit of an idealization of yeah of the past that I don't know. I don't know whether it's particularly accurate because it's just I, I was like seven years old <laughs> but um and i didn't just have much of a history in Barcelona at that point but the i think yeah i think most people would situate the olympics as a key point of inflection um and then you know more recently touristification has played a major role mm-hmm. so if i had to point at a neighborhood where i'd say okay this is a really good example of gentrification, I would say the Gothic neighborhood or the, or the born, because that's a place that has lost a substantial proportion of its residents. Mm-hmm. Like, and they haven't been really, subst- I mean, you know, it's, they haven't been substituted by high income residents necessarily. Right. They've been substituted by tourist apartments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're not even residents. So, so I think that's one compelling example but there's lots of different types of gentrification types of gentrification i mean you mentioned touristification i suppose that's a big part of barcelona right yeah yeah so i think there's like you know one of the big contributing factors in recent years uh and and i think that that has driven a lot of the interest in discussions about um you know recent waves of gentrification on the one hand have to do with the rise of the tourist economy in places like Barcelona, but also with the rise of short-term rental platforms like Airbnb, right? Yeah, uh, which which kind of go hand in hand with this. And um, you know, there's a lot to be said here, but but sort of you know, to, for gentrification to happen, there's a lot of different ways it can happen, right? Like one can be, you know, the economy of a given area is booming, and so it's attracting you know, new groups of people mm-hmm. that need places to live and sometimes have more purchasing power and can buy different, um, buy or rent at different prices than the original population, right? Um, or than the, you know, previous population or existing one and, um, and can displace folks in that way. But I think, you know, that's certainly a problem, uh, and housing policy needs to 
step in there. Uh, but you know, other strategies of gentrification have to do with 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 planned decisions, right? To invest and transform specific areas in specific ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, you know, putting uh, you know museums like or or big cultural institutions in certain areas might might drive uh gentrification uh or like 22 arroba let's put an innovation district in a former working class part of town like the um you know like the so-called 22 arroba in poblano is i think a more uh telling example uh you know these things always don't don't always work out right but the big one in recent years has been you know to to introduce this element of like you're not even competing with people who are going to live here now you're just competing with folks who are going to stay for a week and can pay double triple uh the rent on a flat that um you know that a resident would be willing to play mm-hmm. and and that's what what sort of airbnb has kind of loosened up that game quite a bit because you know it's just enabled informal arrangements ultimately uh to take place and sort of subvert the residential real estate market in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, so there have been studies about this because, you know, as a as a tech firm, Airbnb will you know will use different types of discourses to explain what they do, right? And one of the things that they do is they they'll say it's a very common Silicon Valley al- uh, argument is that well the law is not keeping up with the tech, right? The tech is just way ahead of the law. So, you know, there's just these new possibilities being opened up by the fact that you can post uh, something on a website uh, and that that website's pretty and easier, you know, it has good user um, experience design, UX design. Um, And therefore, you know, there's just no legal framework for this new thing. Well, yes, there is. It's called illegal subletting, right? It's it's, it's an illegal uh tourist flat but the thing is that you you know you made it so pervasive that it's very very hard to regulate right um and you know they would make this argument airbnb was quite skillful at at like making this claim that like no what we're actually doing is allowing you know uh homes that you know uh, uh households that are maybe struggling a little bit or so on to scrape a little bit of extra money by renting out a room uh, and so on, and that's certainly the case in in a significant number of people. Hmm. Uh, but that's not the majority of the listings on Airbnb. The majority of the listings on Airbnb are illegal tourist flats or lax regulated, laxly regulated um, uh, tourist flats. And so, of course, you know this. There's a lot of debate about whether or not this is actually substituting uh, any. Um, any of the sort of residential real estate market. And the fact is that it has. Um, I mean, there's been, a, you know, there've been calculations of its actual, you know, of its actual effect. Um, so for instance, uh, you know, using a data set of Airbnb listings uh, in, you know, major U.S. metropolitan areas, uh, Baron Kung and Proserpio, uh, which is, a group of researchers found that uh, housing prices and rent increased between 2010 and 2016 uh, 
with to the extent that a one percent increase in the number of properties listed on Airbnb would lead to a point zero two percent increase in rents and a point three zero three percent increase in house prices. And that's with a one percent increase, right? Mm. So, well, if that increases substantially, then of course it's going to have a much larger uh, effect on uh, residential real estate markets. So you know it's 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 quite clear in in New York. Um, there was a maybe a 1.4 percent increase between 2014 and 2017. 1.4 percent increase in median long-term rent, uh, which is you know for the median New York tenant about a 380 percent, uh, sorry, 380 dollar uh, rent increase. Wow. Uh, for an apartment that during the year, or 700 dollars in Manhattan neighborhoods, for instance. Mm. So these are these are impacts. And then if you look at you know the impacts in terms of you know, racial, uh, displacement, mm-hmm. you know, you see that the impact of Airbnb, um, uh, you know, profits are sharply skewed towards white neighborhoods mm-hmm. than non-white neighborhoods. So, so there's just inequality all around. Right. Um, and, and this is, I think why a lot of the, the discussion around tourism and gentrification have been going hand in hand, but it's because of these short-term rental platforms and, and, and how, how they work. Spain passed a new housing law, for instance, that, um, you know, it includes a lot of good things for tenants and, um, and, uh, some homeowners, but and, and including sort of enabling theoretically rent controls, uh, hmm. to be implemented, but there's a way to skirt these regulations, which is through short-term rentals. Um, and so what have we seen in property markets and real estate markets and so on is, um, not property markets so much as real estate, uh, housing markets, rental housing markets is that there has been a sharp increase in short-term rentals and people that just want to rent for a a maximum of 11 months rather than the minimum five years, uh, to skirt these regulations. Right. Uh, so, you know, by setting up different types of incentives, uh, in the housing market, um, and, you know, provoking different types of demographic change, uh, and, and so on, you know, gentrification does take place. Um, and, uh, and, and usually public bodies have a major role to play in promoting it or combating it. And Barcelona recently made headlines for combating it, I'd say. Mm, I was going to be my next question. Actually, I saw a headline that said the Canary Islands and Barcelona are combating gentrification while as whilst Malaga and Madrid are kind of embracing it. Um, yeah. so what, what have Barcelona been doing to combat gentrification? I think the most interesting thing Barcelona did in addition to being one of the first places to kind of try to implement rent controls, mm-hmm. um, th- perhaps the most interesting thing that they did was really regulate Airbnb, uh, put a lot of, of effort towards that. So they, they increase the number of people, uh, their team of people that are inspecting flats and trying to make sure that every tourist flat has a tourism license. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that the, the best thing that they did was leverage their power as a major destination for Airbnb and say, 
Airbnb can only operate in this in the city if they share their data with us. Oh well. And by sharing their data with us, we can see when listings uh, appear. Mm -hmm. We can make sure that every listing has uh, a license and is therefore, um, you know, operating under those terms. Mm -hmm. And they capped the number of tourism licenses. Uh, ah, boy, that was flats. That's the big one. Yeah. yeah. Um, now they couldn't revoke existing tourism licenses because Trias, the previous, the mayor before Colau, uh, really sparked a boom uh, in in that area um, and, and gave a whole lot. But if you look at the evolution of those, uh, you know, the concession of licenses, it it really flattens out that curve after 2015. Mm -hmm. um, so this is what they did. Now the question is: Has that stopped gentrification? No, it hasn't. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's certain. I mean, we have to think about what that means. If we had gone through, if we had continued along the previous path, then the, we'd probably be looking at a very different city today. Uh, but it has not sort of reversed uh, gentrification. In fact, you know, um, rent over burden continues to be very, very high. Mm -hmm. Uh, in Barcelona and across the metropolitan area. And so, you know, the the question of what can be done against gentrification is um, is an interesting one because gentrification tends to, it's a local level manifestation of kind of global processes and, and you know, capital, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, what you do in a city like Barcelona that's part of a metropolitan reality uh, and and, if, and in fact has several, you know, cities that are contiguous with it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it can be quite difficult because your administrative boundaries don't actually respond to sort of the more geographic, differently bordered boundaries that capital operates with. So for instance, if Barcelona decides we're going to host a, a lot fewer sort of business fairs and conferences, um, Okay, sure, uh, because those things contribute to gentrification, presumably increasing the demand for tourist flats, blah, blah, blah. Uh, well, then you have the town level Spitalet, which is governed by another uh, another political color, by the Socialist Party, rather than at that time the Comuns. Mm. Um, and they're basically on the same street as the Fira of Barcelona, where all these conferences are held. Uh, you just go down Gran Vía a little bit, and now you're in another city that's saying, okay, well, do it here. And yeah. for for businesses or conferences or so on, it, it's no difference. So it's, it's on the same metro. You know, uh, they can keep saying Barcelona because it's technically the province of Barcelona or the Barcelona metropolitan area. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, dynamics will just kind of uh, follow a metropolitan lo logic much more than a strict, you know, like municipal uh, municipal one. So, so cities, you know, they have a lot of tools at their disposal that they can use mm -hmm. to to push back but um you know the reality is that capital has a lot of advantages um and can force competition uh you know between cities between people and, mm -hmm. you know it, it does a lot to to basically destroy uh social cooperative relations right yeah. 
I mean, how how do you think it's going to change? I mean, now Adetulao is not mayor, uh, and the Socialist Party is it the Socialist Party, right? That now, yeah, now have the the mayor. Are they? Is it going to change um, things with regards to regulation of Airbnb or any other kind of uh, things related to gentrification? Um, probably. I mean, I think they're going to take a different approach, right? Uh, we still have to see, I'd say, but like what they're going to do exactly. Um, on some level, they want to continue uh, the policies that they, you know, they were a uh, partner in the government until four months before the elections, you know? Yeah. So, um, and well, the, the mayor was, the, the whole party was a partner in the government until mm -hmm. until the elections. And so the, um, you know, they don't want to, sort of they're they're more into the idea of like correcting their legacy than sort of undoing uh the previous government because right, you know, okay. they just had a hand in it um i do think that they are taking steps to you know promote this idea that barcelona is back you know for 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 this type of investment okay. um but you know the they are beholden to a, a, a body of voters that are, you know, uh, lower income than yeah. uh, than other political parties that want to bring more capital and so on. So mm -hmm. I think they're going to try to strike some kind of a balance. Um, but then other issues, for instance, in the area of like urban greening, for instance, which is mm -hmm. there's a lot to be said about the idea of like green gentrification that takes place. Well, what's, that? Um, what's that? Green gentrification is mm -hmm. when you um, you know, by promoting green spaces in the city and so on, you make mm -hmm. certain areas a lot nicer and yeah. more livable. But the problem with making them more livable is that you're also making them more expensive, right? If you don't have any types of controls on housing markets or yeah. commercial real estate markets. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's one of the critiques that have been leveled against the sort of policies that Kalao's government had towards urbane greening and kind of, mm -hmm. you know, creating more pedestrian yeah i was gonna say that area super, super blocks yeah super blocks yeah yeah so so the courts ruled recently thanks to you know frivolous lawsuits put forth by the political opposition um ruled that uh not only do the uh do these super blocks have to stop but they have to be reversed they have to be turned back into what they were yeah. before well. and of course the Socialist Party uh, has come out, you know, they had a hand in all that. And, they, and and that's something that the new government has to deal with. And they've said, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, we may not want to do more of these, but we don't want to reverse it, right? Yeah. Because um, that would be disastrous. So that's just one example of like the contradictions because before they were like, well, you know, this is Kolao's legacy. They try to distance themselves from that, hmm. from the sort of anti-car or anti-private vehicle approach of the previous government. They wanted to be a little bit friendlier towards that. Mm -hmm. towards the car lobby so to speak um and now you know these kinds of ridiculous decisions uh force them to you know show their hand a little bit and say, yeah yeah you guys are you know you guys were fooling folks right um so but but yeah so green gentrification is kind of tied to these processes mm -hmm. and um it, it there's a lot of really great work by um by Melissa Garcia Lamarca, Isabel Angolovsky, and the folks at the at ICTA uh, 
at, at, the, at the UAB that, that did a lot of work on this. And one of the really interesting things that we're looking at in recent years, and this is kind of um, what we're looking at going forward, I think, some of us that work on housing studies, is the impact of the so-called renovation wave. Mm -hmm. So as part of the European Green Deal, um, one of the things that they want to do and that they put a lot of funding into mm -hmm. is housing renovation to improve energy efficiency in in places like Spain, where it's very, very low, like Barcelona's average energy certification is like E or F. Oh, wow, well, really? Like well. Yeah, yeah. And so they're trying to boost it up to an average of at least C, right? Mm -hmm. So what does this involve? It means a, a substantial amount of government aid going to, you know, renovating buildings uh, and so on uh, to, to improve the energy efficiency. Um, this, is this is very interesting. But the, the fact of the matter is that most of Spain's housing uh, system is owner-occupiers. And um, the people that are kind of most exposed to the problems of, uh, you know, poor energy efficiency, poor quality buildings. I mean, it's widespread throughout Barcelona, but the ones that are most affected are tenants. And they can't apply for the, the sort of federal aid or the European funds to to do this, that has to be through homeowners mm -hmm. and homeowners, you know, uh, have just more capacity to, uh, to invest. And without rent controls, if you invest money in making apartments nicer, you're going to be making them more expensive, which puts them further out of reach of middle and low income households, thereby creating this sort of green gentrification effect. Mm -hmm. Um, Unless again, you don't, you have some kind of controls put in place or you redesign the policy so that they, you know, try to go more towards underprivileged households, um, without having that kind of impact. It's a very difficult, very delicate, um, set of policies to, to implement. Mm, definitely. And do you, I mean, is the, the center of the, of the city, um, are the demographics changing rapidly or is it kind of a more slow process? What do you think it'll look like in the, in the near future? I don't, I'm not asking you to tell the foot to tell the future, but, uh, what's the sort of trends? What are they source showing at the moment? So the, I think in the city, in the city center, there's, there's an interesting set of borders, right? Um, the Rambla, for instance, uh -huh. divides, the, divides Ciudad Vella into two areas, right? So to one side of the Rambla, you have the Gothic neighborhood and the Bourne and these kinds of spots. Uh, and on the to on the other side, you have the Raval. Mm -hmm. um, now the Raval, there's, there's been quite a bit of writing about this, but, but gentrification in the Raval, I'd be hesitant to say that it has really gentrified uh, fully because there's a sort of a, a sharp divide between Raval North and Raval South. Mm -hmm. Raval South is very, very, you know, it's, 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 it's a poor neighborhood. Um, mm -hmm. it's one of the most intervened neighborhoods, uh, by, you know, uh, charities, NGOs yeah. in, in Spain. Um, and then the, the sort of the Northern part, as they call it, of the Raval is, you know, more populated by sort of has a larger presence of like digital nomads and so okay. like uh or uh kind of 
bohemian sort of well-to-do uh mm. you know li- professionals or so all yeah um but but you haven't seen really the level of gentrification that you would see for instance in the on the other side of in the gothic or in the born where there's just it's there's they've lost i mean i think in the last decade they calculated it at like by that point it had lost about 40 percent of its original residents jesus wow yeah yeah and so that is a extreme case of gentrification yeah and then the of course the the demographics of the revol i mean it's 50 percent migrant right mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's, it's a migrant majority uh I'm remembering the figures right. If it's not migrant majority, it's very close. Yeah, uh, to, to that uh, in that neighborhood, and migrant, not predominantly digital nomads, right? So, mm-hmm. so, but rather, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, yeah, um, folks from the global south, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, folks from Spain, but with origins in the, in the global south. At this yeah, point. and so you know, it's very much an, an underprivileged neighborhood to this day, um, which as part of a tourist center and being a place where, um, you know, poverty and flows of global capital kind of mix, you know, mm. has, has some degree of insecurity that's higher than other neighborhoods, just pickpocketing and stuff like that. Not, not particularly generating out a lot of like violent crime. I guess Barcelona doesn't have a lot of black violent crime compared to other cities in mm. the global north um but but yeah so so you see these kinds of issues like pop up which kind of you know um make it a less it's just, it's just not a particularly attractive place i think for a lot of affluent folks to move to mm-hmm. um whereas you know other neighborhoods like gracia for instance um have I think it would be hard to argue that Gracia has not been gentrified in the last 20 years. It's very obviously has, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's been incorporated into the urban core. Let's, let's say, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, other neighborhoods, Pobla Sec, I think has been gentrified to some extent, um, certain parts of Pobla no, um, uh, yeah. So there's, there's. San Andreo is an area right now that I think is uh, is a district that that is kind of seeing a lot of of residential displacement uh, being generated by the arrival of new and affluent new and more affluent uh, populations. But at the same time, you know, I don't think it's a great idea to use. I mean, I I, I think we should. Be fairly strict about what we understand as gentrification. We sh- there should be an element of, of displacement or population substitution. Otherwise, you know, if you rely on these sort of visual indicators of like, oh, there's cupcake shops, yeah, yeah, bakeries and stuff, that I don't think is very serious as a as uh, as a, as a metric because it's it's not, you know, it can be funny certainly, but I don't think it. I, I think it gives a lot of like inaccurate views because. On it the makes, one hand, that it makes for good clickbait, right? I mean, it is outstanding clickbait. I mean, I've yeah. gone, it's funny, but um, but it's in a sense, it's first of all, it tends to be too late in the game, uh, to really signal anything. It's just kind of like maybe in some cases, it's kind of like the culmination of it. And on the other hand, it's like, you know, my question ends up being, is this gentrification or is this more like, is it, or is it just young people moving into the neighborhood? Because mm-hmm. young people have different 
you know, consumer habits and preferences than than older populations. So yeah, if there is like a brunch place, maybe it's because younger people and and we're not even talking that young, right? But like millennials and so on, like maybe they like brunch, you know, uh, as opposed to the Manola bar from forever, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and yeah, if there's vegetarian places, maybe it's because there's more vegetarians that are, that are younger. They're not necessarily earning more than working class folks, but it, 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 yeah. it ties into a lot of like imaginaries because those young folks are working class people, but there've been changes in the labor market that changed who the working class is. Uh, there've been changes in employment conditions that mean that jobs that previously were associated with a high degree of stability and higher earnings are now lower earnings mm -hmm. and higher, you know, degrees of, of precariousness in terms of contingency of labor mm -hmm. or temporary contracts and so, so on. So I think, you know, this, you know, it, it's funny and it's in the way that like comedy that uses stereotypes might be funny right mm -hmm. but it's it's not particularly accurate no uh, so yeah that's that's kind of where i would get to on that so it's like it's very it's very common to be like oh yeah you know san andreo is becoming highly gentrified because you're starting to see these like you know fancy uh bakeries and especially coffee shops and places and all that and it's like well but what's going on with rent here and how is that any different than what's going on with rent and the rest of the city yeah, that's that to me is the interesting question: is what's happening to rent and what's happening to the population? Yeah, definitely. No, it's, it's definitely a, a good point to end on. Thanks very much for your time. Yeah, thank you, Al.